Happy Monday to everybody out there. Uh, welcome to Composure in the Box. We've missed you guys so much. We haven't uh, put out an episode in a long time. Today, I've got a very, very special guest, the uber-talented Tanaka Mundwa. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Flani. Really appreciate it. Firstly, yeah. I want to ask, what yeah. makes me special? So basically, uh, just a bit of some background <laughs> for our view, for our listeners, I was about to say our viewers. So with Tanaka, what happened was um, you, you, you work for Vision View Sports Radio. Yeah. You're like one of their top class hosts. And I've said this to our producers quite a number of times that I enjoy working with this guy. So yeah. what makes me special is first and foremost, I sent you, I think a couple of months ago, I sent you a DM on LinkedIn asking mm. you to link me up with one of your producers. So maybe I'm a bit biased. You did that. <laughs> Everything went well. I don't know how many times I've been on the show. I was actually yeah. telling support that I actually want to make sure that I'm on Monday to Thursday every yeah. week this year. Um, and then I'll bill uh, for a thousand, <laughs> thousand rand a week. <laughs> yeah, but that basically, man, it's, it's, it's just the knowledge of the game that you have, the passion yeah. for the sport. And I really think you're a top, uh, you're a top class broadcaster. And when you are up there, I would actually be like, I used to be with this guy and my kids probably won't even believe me. Yeah, They probably so, won't, Pilani, but I'll make sure that you get a trinket. They just, they just <laughs> remember me, but I'll tell yeah. you what, I genuinely wasn't fishing for compliments. I just, I, I, as someone who's in broadcasting myself, I know I so oftentimes say special guest and I wonder what makes this person special? What makes this occasion special? So I, I was curious and, and I suppose secondly to, to everything that you said is, uh, yeah, it doesn't always go so well in the DMs, but I suppose sometimes it goes this well. And yeah. there we are. True, true. Um, but uh, who knows? If you were female, probably you wouldn't have listened, uh, answered my DMs. No, I haven't. Been, I haven't slid in anyone's DMs in years. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not confident, uh, confident in my game. But yeah. let's say Tanaka, I approached you a couple of weeks ago just to give some background to what we are doing. Approached you a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago. I'm like, my man, we vibe well on your radio show. When 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 we jump on together, I've got this podcast uh, hosted, uh, the Composition the Box, hosted under the uh, Sports Hype umbrella. Why don't we do something every Monday where we, you know, just mash it up as two homies and talk about what the action that we have witnessed over the weekend. So truth be told to the viewers, we don't have a, to the listeners, I keep on saying viewers, to the listeners, uh, we have don't have a name. TV before? Because you keep No, I'm, I'm not sure. I think maybe that's my destiny. My ancestors keep on saying it on my behalf. But yeah, we, we, we need, we need, we need, we don't have a name as yet, but we are going to make sure that we give you guys content um, with the very first show. Um, I don't know. You did send me rocket emojis and star emojis. So I don't know. Are you angling for a spaceship name? Are you angling for <laughs> out of a world? I, I don't know. None, none of the above. That was just my excitement of uh, getting onto the onto the show with you for the very first time this year. That's all that was. It was just my God. excitement. I was trying to make it as palpable as possible. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, man, for coming on once again. So we're going to start chopping it up with Percy Towers Brighton. And the relegation question. The relegation question has existed with Brighton. Before they called back Percy Tower, I was actually talking to a few people in my circle, also on your radio show, and we actually spoke about how Brighton need to make sure that they stay up because we don't think if they do go down, they've got quality uh, or they've got the resources to, you know, bounce back rather quickly. So what are your thoughts on, on Brighton so far? I'll just give you a few numbers before, before we, we have a quick chat. So Brighton, 1-3, drew 8, lost eight and have 17 points uh, they are forming their last five games as one win two draws and two losses yeah i'll I tell you what though um pilani obviously i think all of south africa will be keeping a very close eye out on brighton as we have done uh when percy Tau prayed for underlegs and club bruges and, and all the excitement and fanfare that was around him being at those particular clubs uh i, I must admit though i saw a tweet from a, a fellow colleague of mine in the journalism spaces um, and he was essentially saying, guys, you know, the way we're going about it, this abuse that we're hurling at Brighton players who we feel like are taking up space, if I can use our 2020 uh, colloquial slangs, it's not the right way of going about it. Percy Tau will get his chance, but I don't think we're helping him by being abusive online. That's just a, 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 side, a side conversation, I suppose. But with regards to Brighton, I will say this. For the past couple of seasons, I mean, I can take you back to last season when they finished uh, 16th and the season, or rather 15th, the season before that when they finished 17th, uh, just two points above the relegation place. It seems they found themselves in this position more often than not. I, I think I'd have to disagree with you, Pilani, uh, with regards to the quality in which they have it at their disposal right now. I think they, they're good enough in that team where you get the sense that they can, without saying turn things around for themselves, but I, I think they, they're good enough when if they went down, they have enough in there to come back up, should the team stay intact. 
right? Should it but but that's, that's always the, the, the thing with relegation. When you go down, you don't stay intact. And that's why maybe, maybe I'm being unfair and you are right to say that, but just to put it out there, can they stay intact? Because, you know, the likes of, the, the likes of Neo Malpay, those are players that could be actually being looked at by, you know, the French lower could probably look at him. Italy yeah. as well, Netherlands, yeah. No, look, you're not, you're not wrong at all. You're not wrong in, in that assessment. But as it stands, let's assume they went down and remained intact. I think they would have enough. We can't forecast what hasn't happened yet True. about True. them going down and losing players. Um, they would have enough. But the big concern, uh, particularly as it pertains to the South African narrative, is will they stay up? I mean, we're happy Percy Towers there, but we would certainly be less happy should he end up playing in the championship next season. Uh, I, I don't think that's something a lot of people would be particularly interested in. I think that would almost derail this movement, this wave uh, mm. of Percy Tau at the moment. Now, uh, with regards to their form, not great, but I will say this as a, as maybe just something that, as a, as a short class bunch of hope, they have played well. The results aren't necessarily matching the performance. And, and it's, it's not always that way for teams where usually a team plays bad and you get bad results. But in the case of Brighton, I've watched them in several games gone by and been impressed, but without necessarily getting the results. But this seems Can I give you one example of one game? Problem. Yes, sir. When you faced them in, um, I think it was the eight, Saturday the 18th. Uh, no, yes. No. Was it the 18th? No, I don't think it was the 18th, but I think 16th, 17th, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Um, in December, when you faced them, they really, yeah. really looked good. And yeah. they came. Unfortunately, they came out of uh, out of that game without anything. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So look, the the, the reality of the, the Brighton situation is they are playing well, you know. And and I think that's it's a big credit to Brighton because their playing style has certainly improved. I remember I was uh, one of the advocates for Chris Hutton. Um, you know, I really wanted him to 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 stay in that position. We know the struggle for black coaches uh, in England, but the reality for Brighton is that they're playing well. The results just have to come come along with it with with it rather and whether or not they come now it seems we're getting to that stage of the season where a lot can change with a couple of good results but also a lot can go the other direction and you're only two or three games away at this stage at least as it pertains to relegation uh, zone from putting yourself into a deep hole yeah and uh, I, I, I i'll just say i agree with everything that you said i think Graham Potter's onto something i remember watching him when we're in the Europa League and he came with his son. Um, unfortunately, I'm forgetting the name of his team that was coaching out there in Europe and they came to to the Emirates and we drew, but we went away and beat them uh, thoroughly. But you could actually see that this man has something, the team play for him. And the Brighton players, actually, they don't really look dejected after games, as would uh, as is the case with other relegation sides where after their games, they actually don't look like they want. They still want to play. They actually look like they've already given up hope, and you know, and, and things are actually looking quite bleak for them. So, that said, what does Graham Potter need to do with the next fixtures that are coming up? Their next six are Fulham at home, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Burnley away, Palace at home, and West Brom away. Sure, listening to that plan, it's, they don't have the the easiest stretch, do they? Um, I, I think what needs to happen for Graham. You know, you, you almost get the sense that at some, at some point you have to start batting down the hatches, you know, not necessarily thinking offensively. And I know his playing style, that's what got him the job at Swansea, and ultimately the job at Brighton. His playing style has always kind of been front foot first. But you start to get the sense that maybe playing for a point against the teams where you have only teams like Tottenham, for example, you know, uh, playing for a point, there's absolutely no harm in that if you can put them on the counter and, and, and lock up shop. Brighton are well capable of doing that. I think they have within themselves, uh, bar the, of course, the injuries, enough defensive players in there to make themselves difficult to beat. And I think that's the most important thing for Brighton is is be difficult to beat. And I don't think they're too far away from that. I mean, if you take a look at the, the winless streak, the nine-game winless streak, in the games that they have lost, it's been by the odd goal. They're not being completely swept. I mean, bar the game, be Leicester. But in most of the games, it's been a 2-1, a 1-0. So you, you can see that they're not too far away. Now, I wouldn't ask Graham um, Potter to change his playing style entirely the way I would ask Bielsa over at Leeds, but I do believe entirely that it's going to have to be now playing almost in the Mourinho-esque way of we need a point here, that's what we'll play for. We need a win here, and that's what we'll play for. Yeah, he does. Uh, Graham Potter, credit to him, he does seem like he finds a great balance between Mourinho and Bielsa, if you can put mm. it that way. Mm. But when I use Bielsa, I don't mean that his team is high pressing and they, you know, expand so much energy. Bielsa's 
second halves usually tend to be flat because these players are so tired and naked yeah. after uh, after the first 45. But Graham Potter plays his way, and that's what Bielsa does, you know, where he Absolutely. says, this is our way, we don't change. Arsenal can come through, Barcelona can come through, Manchester City can come through, we play our way. So there is kudos in that. But he also, I think I'm leaning with you as well. He needs to find his inner Mourinho to an extent where he actually picks which games that he's going to go full throttle and which games is actually going to try and be as conservative, co- conservatively positive if mm. there's anything like that. So based, based on what we've all spoken about and the euphoria that's in South Africa, what's a successful season for Percy Tau, according Look, to you? I think the, 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 the problem that Percy Tau has is that there's a lot of fans in this in the space at the moment who who will expect a lot in a very short space of time. I think anyone who's been close to the game a lot will know that any player who arrives in January, a bar the great talents, will probably need the rest of the, that six months to get accustomed with the playing style, the league. You know, someone who's never played in England before. But I think for me, a regular football between now and the end of the season for Percy Tower would be a massive plus. I think I'm not even looking at his numbers yet, his figures. A couple of goals here and there, naturally, for the sake of Twitter and all the hashtags. But for me to see him in that side on a full-time, or rather on a regular basis, would be a massive plus. And remember, we, we cannot ignore the fact that there is talent in that squad that he has to go up against. You know, there are some some wingers, and, and in the form of Neil Malpe, who you alluded to earlier before. There Danny are Welbeck as well. Power at this moment. Yeah, exactly. Danny Welbeck, there's a, a Trossard in there as well. Um, there are players who are ahead of of Percy Tau at this moment, at least. And Bright's never a few coming back from injury as well. So for me to see him in that team, maybe get 10 games um, in the from the start, for me, would be a massive plus for him between now and the end of the season. No, I I, I hate that so far we're agreeing on everything. But let's see if <laughs> no extent. But definitely for me, it's not even about numbers. I'm not looking at his goals or assists. Yeah. Um, I think most likely... If, things do go well for him because he's a tricky and creative player. We have more assists than goals because he does seem to love hugging the touchline and cre- being creative on that side, which is fine. Lani, um, uh, yes, I get sir. about to segue away from Percy Tau, but I really want to ask you, mm-hmm. and uh, forgive me, this is just, you know, how we usually do it. So let's, let's, let's yeah. for a second get back into our, our usual rhythm here. Um, with regards to, to Percy Tau, how mm. much, and, and you can just use the knowledge of players you've seen in, in this type of way gone by, how much of Percy Tao's getting to where he's gotten now? Granted, Brighton is not the end, you know, but the way Brighton fought to have Percy Tao at that club, I, I have a, I have the sense that it's also informed by the traction Percy Tao has had online. And now we know, in, in the case of more recently Liverpool signing, um, uh, I forget him from uh, the Asian player. What's his name? Minamino. Minamino, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. There was a sense of we're trying to tap into a particular market, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've seen a player this well followed on Twitter. I mean, Club Bruges did it, where kind of their whole social media wave was leaning towards Percy Tau, and they kind of bought into the line, you know, line of Judah narrative in South Africa. We saw the same thing at Anderlecht. We're seeing the same thing at Brighton. And I guess my question is, without taking anything away from Percy Tau, prolific player, but how much of a role do you believe? I mean, we can't quantify it, but how much role do you believe the South African uh, footballing-loving audience has played in terms of getting Percy Tau to where he is? And, and of course, I say that uh, biding my tongue because it's only through his own hard efforts and merit that he is where he is. But uh, I think you understand where my question is coming from. No, I, I totally do. And just yeah. to give you another uh, example, uh, you mentioned uh, Club Bruges and Lake and Brighton already riding the wave of one player. Just for your trivia's sake, in case someone asks you a million-dollar question one day, yeah. uh, Tino Dewey, the Zimbabwean striker, is also mm. seeing the same type of attention exactly. with the, the Olympic Lyon page, where it actually seems like it's all about him and not that's about really other exactly. players. Yeah, but that said, that's a very good question. I really think, um, you know, these, these clubs are revenue-driven machines. Uh, yes, there's success. There's the fans also that are there, but there's the revenue-driven machines. So, Going into some decisions, it would also always look like there are some things that do shake precedent. I remember reading an article a few years ago about how it always seems like Arsenal tend to look at buying handsome fellas. And they gave an example of some of them with female, you know, just to see how the female market would respond and also for their ads and their jerseys. Just to get this, there's a certain look about Arsenal guys. Um, the, not the fans, but the players uh, that were there at that time, all well-groomed, the Olivier Giroud's, Aaron Ramsey's. So I'd have to say there is a commercial side of transfers. 
not only from paying a transfer fee and or paying someone's wages, but also what are we getting out of this individual? And I really think with Brighton bringing him back in January, I think there was a realization that, you know, we can actually start maximizing on this player because once, if God forbid they go to the, went toward to go into the championship and bring Pesitao back in there, there might not have been as much excitement as uh, they would right now, right at this moment. So I would say, Talent-wise, he's done everything. He's taken the long road, if we can both agree to that, Absolutely. to getting to where he is right now. And we Absolutely. hope that the, you know that these bigger and better clubs are waiting for him after after this move. But uh, basically, I would say at least thirty percent of their decisions should have been leaning to what the South African or and even the African market could present. Absolutely, um, for them as a club. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more, Pilani. Seems like we're all in agreement at this stage. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Let's see. <laughs> you, uh, I did mention that when you faced Brighton, so maybe our, our listeners would be wondering, what does you mean? Did you play for Liverpool that day? No, oh. Tanaka is a, man, is a big Liverpool fan, a mm. uh, huge Liverpool fan, uh, childhood Liverpool fan, uh, by what I gather. So let's talk Liverpool-Manchester United. What are your biggest takeaways oh, from that game? There's nothing to talk about, really. I, you know, I mean, it, it was what we've become used to in years gone by. Look, the truth is this. Yesterday I left that game. I had some not too nice things to say about Manchester United. Um, and I took to Twitter, as I usually do. But the reality is, you know, that's... We have to be introspective about performances like this. And I think the, the, the facts are for Liverpool have not been good enough in, for the past several games. Um, I think now the the streak is four games winless. A couple of them we haven't been able to score. And it's, three, it's looking, three, yeah. It's looking like things aren't ticking at the moment. So if I'm going to excuse Manchester United, um, just briefly, it would be for me concern as a Liverpool fan because it doesn't seem like the front three are clicking. That game where we won seven one or seven nil was it against Crystal Palace? Yeah, Palace. Said, yes. Okay, we had turned the corner. It seems to have been, you know, a bit premature from our side because the reality is we haven't looked like the Liverpool that we have been in seasons gone by. And I almost chalked it down to the fact that, you know, the league is a bit bizarre at this moment and low fans and COVID and all that type of jazz. And, and you know, if, if you're going to be honest about Liverpool, what you know players buy into is is, is what the fans bring, you know, the atmosphere around games and, and all that kind of stuff. So do I believe that's affecting the club? Absolutely. In, 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 a, in a way that I believe... Is, is is probably bigger than at most teams in the league. You know, not to take anything away from fan, fan bases, but just the way Klopp has made that squad, it's almost been why Anfield has become such a fortress is because the, the fans, through it all, irrespective of how things are looking, there's always a certain noise you expect. Now, that hasn't been in this season. It's hurt performances. But again, so many teams have been in that space, so we can't cry over that. Liverpool have looked dismal, and they're looking bad at a time when so many teams around us are looking very good, particularly Manchester City, who can go, I think, four points clear if they were to win uh, both, their, uh, the, both their games. I think they have one more um, game in hand. So it, 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 it's perilous times. And I don't believe Manchester United will win it, if that's a question that you're going to pose at all. Um, they're in a good space at the moment. We'll let their fans tweet and, yeah, oh, one point gained, oh, top of the table, all that type of jazz. But I think realistically, if you're going to sober yourself up, Manchester United, have a, have a chance, because this is the Premier League, and Leicester City won it a couple of seasons ago and we thought it was impossible. They have a chance. The circumstances are so bizarre that you can't excuse anybody. But I just think Manchester City and Liverpool, uh, Manchester City being more likely, and it, it, it hurts to say that, but I have to be realistic, will, will come good. And because they have that championship pedigree, they will come good when it matters and, and do what needs to be done which I don't believe other teams are ready to do at this moment. So, yeah, boring game, disappointing. But the reality is one team left there with the result they wanted, didn't play well, nor, neither team played well. There wasn't even an outstanding play in that particular game. But um, I think Liverpool will be hurting more about that, one, that particular result. You know, what I find very weird, and I was talking to one of my Manchester United fans, a uh, friend who's a fan, um, he was talking about how he's, he has so much fear about going into that Anfield game. And I was actually like, do you really watch those games? Because when you look back at their history over the past six fixtures, yeah. Manchester United have managed to actually be one of the better sides to visit Anfield. Because, mm. I mean, when you look at the num- the points tally at Anfield, it's actually 178 points mm. out of 208 points on offer in the Premier League that you guys have won at mm. home. So Manchester United are one of those teams that have actually made this total drop uh, to 178 because and they I, always put their best foot forward. And maybe plan to throw another stats in there. I know you, you're the numbers guy, but we can't ignore the fact that 
uh, in 26 games that our front three, as they are, Salah, Mane, and Firmino have played against Manchester United, only three goals. So, True. so I mean, they've been very good at, at shutting us down. Um, and it's just the reality situation. True. But one other thing that I've noticed is generally in this game or this particular fixture, when there's something on the line for both teams, the result tends to be a bit boring or the play tends to be a bit boring. I would when disagree with you, I would disagree. Come on. So, I would um, say, look, look at last season. Look mm-hmm, at last season, mm-hmm. how tumultuous that game, game was. I think that was just before, that was probably some of the final games before lockdown, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, where you mm-hmm. smashed them 2 nil. And I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. everything was, of course, the fans were there and just spoke about missing the fans and everything. But I mean, Liverpool needed to win that to get to a, a certain point. And Manchester City, uh, sorry, Manchester United now, uh, mixing it up, were not any, had nothing to gain except for pride. I think they were so far behind you guys. When you beat them, you then left them by 30 points, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. at the end of that game. So uh, I don't know. You can, you can go ahead and say you do disagree. But I've, what I've noticed personally, and I might be wrong, and I welcome any people to, to to call me out on this, is when both teams have actually got skin in the game, so if that means Manchester United get into the top four spot at you know through this game, or and Liverpool are up somewhere up there and they're fighting for something, it tends to be a bit cagey, but it becomes very free when both team when one team is actually doing well and the other is not really in there. You can go ahead. Absolutely, no plenty. Look, I, I disagree in that. I just think the fixture has been... It hasn't been great. Look, you're probably, on the evidence of things, say that game that you're referring to was an anomaly, you know? Um, that game at Anfield where Liverpool 1-2-0, they played brilliantly. Because in the main, it's been quite a bore game. And I think even going into yesterday, the excitement about that particular fixture was off the back of what's happened. The fact that United are top, Liverpool are three points behind. They could go six points clear. That's where the excitement came from. And I think that should have been enough for, for, for some more excitement. But the problem more often than not, and again, I'm hesitating to point any fingers at United because Liverpool have been poor. The problem is that more often than not, United don't come to play. And I think it takes two to create a really good game. You know, uh, you, can, you could have it one-sided, sure. So I'm not making any excuses, but... That's just where my issue is as it pertains to to um, Manchester United v Liverpool. It's so often not the case that Manchester United is just trying to shut up shop, Liverpool are trying to attack, and it doesn't make for, for great viewing, particularly because of everything that's at stake. I think if that game is Brighton versus Liverpool, I wouldn't mind the performance. But because it's, it, it's a game where you, you've watched games like this in months and years gone by, you know, under the Fergie era, 4-1, uh, Rafael Benitez, you know, and, and Fernando Torres selling in this fixture. And we've watched that type of fixture before and we've gotten a, a very toothless version of that in, in, in days gone by. That's just my feelings, but that's my final thought. I, I don't want to say too much about Manchester United because it always it never ends well for me. I've lost friends. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Just to, just to put it in perspective, 2015 Liverpool uh, and all of these results uh, that, that I'm mentioning at Anfield, right? Mm. Uh, Manchester United won, Liverpool nil. 2016 um, nil all. 2017 nil all. 2018 3-1 to to Liverpool. 2019 2-0 to uh, to Liverpool as well. So they 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 have been those those games, but I do understand what you mean that okay it it hasn't been happening uh, over, over quite an extended yeah. period of time. But bef- before we shut down this topic, I just wanted to say kudos to Alisson reminding everybody in the league that sure. he's the best goalkeeper in the league. For me, uh, he's the one that I look up to and I say this is the benchmark uh, you know of goalkeeping in the Premier League. I do know that there's a debate uh, you know pertaining to his fellow countrymen uh, out there at Manchester City and in Edison, uh, which would be interesting to see that uh, you know when the global competitions or the international competitions start coming around who Brazil actually end up leaning on. I, I think Paul Pogba is very motivated. Uh, I think he's been speaking you know boldly some would say prematurely about what Manchester, what Manchester United can do uh, as the season ends and what they can actually win. But I really like seeing, you know, we are both Paul Pogba fans, if I can put it out there. I'm a, let me be, I'm a Paul Pogba fan in as much as he's black and he's charismatic and he's brazen. That's where, you know, for me, but on the pitch, really, I think I'm, I'm quite neutral about Paul Pogba. I haven't seen it enough. You know, and okay, that's fine. United, but yeah. remember, there's two or three versions of Paul Pogba. There's France. Are you a fan of a motivated Paul Pogba? Because I think there's two or three different types of Paul Pogba. You get Paul Pogba, the sulking guy that lots of United fans hate, and then there's Paul Pogba, 
the motivated guy who a lot of fans, like global football fans, actually love and respect uh, and say, this guy is a baller on his day. Yeah. And uh, then there's the other vol- version that's just the lukewarm guy who just doesn't look like he cares whether the team loses or wins or whether he's selected. So, motivated Paul Pogba, you're not buying any stock in that. Uh, look, I'm buying stock into it. But, you know, Pilani, we talk about motivated and we haven't seen... Look, we've seen it for France, sure. We know about the speeches you're giving in the dressing room. Yes. I'm not taking anything away from him. But as it pertains to Premier League football, I think hardly. I think we've seen all of that in flashes. What we, what we have seen is someone who's failed to deliver for the better part of his time at United, which is, what, five seasons now? Maybe more, if my math serves me correct. So, um, look, Paul Pogba's played three good games in the past couple, you know, in the past month or two. Sure, we'll give it to him. Uh, whether or not he's now untapped or unlocked, you know, they always talk about unlocking Paul Pogba, I don't know. But again, I take nothing away from him. I do believe he has that level in him, and that's why I've been so disappointed, is because he hasn't found it on a consistent basis for long enough for me to say, Oh, yes, Paul Pogba is the guy who's going to rally or pull Manchester United over the line should they be in the title race when it really matters. So, yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. Mm. Paul Pogba t- t- seems to be one of those archetypes. If you're going to build a midfielder, a box-to-box midfielder who can be dominant, you'd actually look at him and say, this is the archetype of what I want. Absolutely. I think most of the problems are either between the ears or in the middle of the chest. And once both of those things are working, He's got the physical attributes and the talent to carry um, things through. But, okay, just before we go, when is Diego Jota coming back? Because it really looks like Where he's the missing link for Liverpool. Yeah, well, look, I wouldn't call him the missing link. He was in a very good moment. You know, he was in a very good moment. Um, and, and now the question is, when he comes back, will he, will he be up to speed in the way he was before the injury? I mean, it's, it was three months that, that he was given. Uh, could be back uh, it's sometime in Feb, but is he coming straight? You know, it's, those questions will be there. Um, I think what's missing for Liverpool isn't necessarily in the front three. Just, and I know they've been they've been they've been off sync without necessarily being bad. I think Liverpool have lacked a creative midfielder. We thought we brought in Thiago. He hasn't been available often enough to kind of uh, give us what we wanted. But I still think Thiago, despite what what we've all made of him, I still think we are one Philippe Coutinho away. You know, someone who's going to sit right in that hole and, you know, and, and really make things happen, you know. Um, and I'm not really, I don't want to even, you know, I know Philippe Coutinho is probably a player who a lot of Liverpool fans have done away with, at least mentally. But we are one player, one number 10, you know. And I know Thiago can pass it really well, but I think he's a, he's, he's a different type of player to the one I'm describing. I think you know what I'm, what I'm kind of looking for. We are Bruno Fernandes away. There we go, if I may. A Bruno Fernandes away, a Kevin De Bruyne away, from really, from really being something special on a consistent basis. And we have, we found it difficult this season to unlock teams. Uh, we've, it's not something we've, we haven't struggled with before. It just feels like we're, you know, revisiting old wounds here. So, I'm not too bleak about it. Rough patches do happen. Klopp will find a way, but I think that's, yeah, that's 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 for me outside of Jota, and I think he's been phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but I think that's really what we're missing. No, I, I totally get you. Um, looking at Thiago, you know, Thiago Alcantara, and I was having this debate with someone who was saying he's the second coming of De Bruyne. I was like, you, you are going to be really, really shocked at what you're getting because yeah. from a creative standpoint, he's just not that guy. I'm looking at his numbers right now. And in his career, he has 42 assists. That's for club and country. Yeah. yeah and, and, in his look, career. And, and the... the highest number of assists he had at Bayern Munich was six. Um, you know, in in in, mm. in the league, so yeah. he, he's not that guy. He's yes, he's that guy who keeps the clock ticking, but he's not that guy. So I really do buy into what you're saying that you're a creative midfielder away. And I do think maybe in some shape or form, Diego Jota could have been if he had stayed fit that creative midfielder that can also grab uh, quite a number of goals as well. So you know, it's, it's, it was it obviously it was not the game that we were expecting. Uh, there was a lot of noise coming from the Manchester camp of what they would come and do at Anfield. And fortunately, they didn't, uh, you know, get, uh, leave there with the number of goals that they thought they would, especially due to the heroics of Alisson that I've mentioned already. But obviously, there's an elephant in the room, Tanaka, and that's Manchester City. Um, I'm looking at their life's five here. They've won five and five. And one thing that we were speaking about earlier on when consistency was an issue before Manchester United seemed to start, you know, getting that together, Manchester City have been quietly going about their business. Look, it's it, at this season, I thought it was they were doomed. Honestly, I thought maybe Pep had reached 
uh, his his plateau with that squad. He had gotten everything he can out of that group of players. And I know he had recently signed a new contract, but I got the sense that it was time for him to move on. You know, I just didn't feel like there was anything left for him to contribute on the back of those performances. But again, that was me maybe being a bit hasty. Me, you know, I, I, look, the reality is Manchester City are a very good team. Whether or not they were mentally all checked out, COVID played a role, I, I don't know what the reasons were. But we're clearly seeing over the past couple of games that they're they've hit that kind of that kind of form that could see them win every game <laughs> between now and the end of the season. You know, um, I'm a massive fan of KDB. I think he's so often the difference for that squad. Um, but again, they have so many match winners in that team. You know, so for me, Ilani, and I'll say it here, and I'm saying it nowhere else. I I'm picking Manchester City in this season to go on and win it. I think. This the form they've hit now. They'll be very difficult to beat. And I think Manchester City have done something that other teams around them have struggled with for a long time, bar Liverpool, of course, in the two seasons gone by, is beating the smaller teams. It's not too, I mean, it's not too often Manchester City struggle to beat smaller teams in the way we've seen Liverpool struggle, even when they've been very good, and, and Manchester United struggle when teams kind of close up shop. And, you know, Manchester City, you always seem like they're going to find a way. So, yeah, for me, they're my pick. And for a team that was almost written off five games into the season, 10 games in the season, they've really turned around. But again, it also shows how slow the season has been, Pilani. I mean, we're on, what, 36 points? I'm not saying it's, 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 it's nothing. Don't get me wrong, but I just mean this is the type of season we're having where you, you, you put together five really good games and you're a contender, you know? And, and that's why I was, yeah. I was a, week, a few weeks ago, and I still think now, uh, with, if the inconsistency continues, this league title is built for a team like Manchester United. The team that everyone won't be really counting yeah. on. The team that looks like has, bar, outside of Manchester City, I think Manchester United are really stacked depth-wise. Maybe not ta- not as stacked as City talent-wise, but they do have quite a lot of depth, especially in midfield and in attacking positions. I mean, how many top six or seven sides would have uh, Edison Cavani on the bench? Yeah. No, look, it's... it's... Yes. But bringing it back to City, they've got Aston Villa uh, day after tomorrow. They then uh, obviously have an FA Cup of assignment. Then they face West Brom. Uh, they also have Sheffield United, Burnley, the, and then they face Liverpool on the they 6th. They can win all of four February. of those games by the time that Liverpool game, and very convincingly. So what Liverpool do in, the next, in their next four of three, or four City, it's, it's going to be quite exciting to see because the reality of that situation is if Liverpool continue this way, City could be a good few points ahead of them by the time that fixture rolls around. You know? No, I, th- I, think, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think Liverpool must start playing with the mentality that they're chasing Manchester City and f- stop focusing on everybody else <laughs> because that's where it's going to be. So, do we are we in agreement Manchester City on the rise? Absolutely. No debates. Probably, again, my pick to win it. I wouldn't go that far. I think Liverpool repeat, but yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I totally get where you're coming. I mean, from. you can't ignore the injuries. You can't ignore the injuries. Sorry, Plan. I don't want to keep 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 hitting uh, football. I know we have so much uh, football sporting action to, to to get through real quick, but you can't ignore the the injuries. You know, they do play a role. Uh, Liverpool, no, definitely. Liverpool yes. have been have been laden with injuries. Manchester City the same, and I think a lot of teams as well. But the reality is, it's they've hit us in where it matters. You know, and you can't. There's a few players who are in that squad right now who you don't know will be fit in, in the next two or three games, you know, um, in Liverpool, that is. So, so for me, that's why I kind of lean more towards City. Um, because that squad as it is, Ilan, you tell me the last time they had a long-term injury outside of Benjamin Mendy, just in that, in that core group alone. You know, Sergio yeah, Barrow, sure, he's, he's, he's that guy always on the, on, the, on the injury desk. But in the, play, in the KDBs and, you know, who they have defensively, you know, Sterling is always available. Um, uh, Mar is always available. Fernandinho's never misses a game. Agunawan bar that one. They do have each at centre back, but they've also got some sick depth down there. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, because um, you know, you, uh, Emmerich Laporte, who was being touted as their best defender, missed some time this season, and no one missed him. No one missed him. John Stones is always started Stones, looking like uh, you know, he was worth every yeah. every bit of that fifty million they paid. Um, Diaz is looking good. You know, it's it's it's, it's so for me. I, I look at City and I think to myself. Yeah, look, the ingredients are there, you know, and they've, it's, they've shown that they can do this. They can go on a run between now and then when Liverpool were chasing them two seasons ago um, and they were Liverpool ahead in December and City went on an 18-game run or 16-game run. You, you can correct me, but they went on that type of a run to, to beat Liverpool by, by a couple of points at the end of the season. 
that's the type of team we're up against. So, yeah, that's why I'm I'm so I'm leaning towards uh, Manchester City. This is Liverpool before you guys meet uh, Manchester City. Burnley on Thursday, uh, obviously the big, uh, you know, the 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 big FA Cup tie, Man U versus Liverpool. Then uh, we go. Then it's Spurs. Uh, Liverpool away at Spurs. Liverpool away at uh, West Ham. You host Brighton, and then you play City. Still four games that you could win if you if yeah. you can quickly fix things. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I guess we we'll have to wait yeah. and see how how things pan out. Uh, where the fix is, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, I think we need one good result, and then maybe the, you know the engine grease will start to move again. But again. We're not far away. Despite how, how poor we've looked, I think that's just because the standard has been very high. We aren't too far away. I mean, there were chances against Newcastle um, where we drew nil-nil. There were chances in the game before that. So we're not too far away uh, from being back to our best. Yeah, true. Yeah. I understand. Talking about the best, who was the winner of the week? Max Holloway. Oh, we mean Premier League? Sorry, I'm already going Yeah, Premier League-wise, definitely. No, Max Holloway, yes. He is, he's winning, but I mean <laughs> Premier League-wise. Just before <laughs> we shut it down. Um, I would have to give it to Leicester City. Um, Leicester City a second. Brendan Rodgers to get that squad to do what they did last season, and and I think Leicester City were rented for that that postponement because of COVID nineteen. They would have finished in the top four places for sure. They were in that type mm-hmm. of form. United had lost Rashford at that point, who was a, a key player for them. Um, they would have finished in the top four, but they weren't able to kind of get their season restarted after that break. So for Rodgers to have them in this same position again. For me, that's the only reason, that, and I think they've been big. Win- they've been big winners this, this this entire season because of the position they find themselves in now. And don't get it wrong, Leicester City are a very good side on paper, but they're also a side who can easily finish ninth, and no one would be. You wouldn't be too concerned, you know. We wouldn't be like this. I would be. I wouldn't think I'll there's that much quality in that side that they can't finish ninth. You know. I I wrote an article a week ago. Mm-hmm. I'll share the link with you on sportshype.online. Please check it out. Okay. Right, um, not you. I'm talking to the listeners, oh, not oh. you. I know you. I, I know you go there from time to time. So I wrote an article where I actually said I think Leicester City are certified Premier League giant now. We can debate it another time, definitely. But I actually think Leicester City. We should stop talking, or rather, stop referring to a top six and include Leicester City and say we've got a top seven in the Premier League. Yeah. Who, yeah. Not only from the perspective of the talent that they have, it's, it's a combination of everything. The manager that they, they have, the talent that they have, their squad, the recruitment, and maybe something that, uh, before before you go in, uh, something that p- pushed me to write the article was the £100 million facility that they recently just opened, training facility. Mm. Uh, it's got a lot of amenities to, that lots of other big clubs might not have or might have, but on a smaller scale than they do have. So I, for me, I think they're certified Premier League giants. Don't get me wrong, Leicester City are solid, 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 well-established Premier League team. I, I don't often prescribe to this big four, big six kind of thing because really, for the past couple of years, that's been on paper. I mean, Liverpool were always considered a big six team, even though we were finishing at some points in our season, ninth and tenth and all that kind of those kinds of. Things. Oh, you remember those days? Because yeah, sure. a lot of your fans seem, seem no, like no, they no, don't. I'm fully still aware. the social media streets. I think I enjoy our success more looking back, you know, looking kind of retrospectively at, at where we've come from. But those big six for all that jazz doesn't mean anything for me. It's who finishes in the top four on a consistent basis. Do you get me? That that's what matters to me. I mean, everything else outside of that doesn't matter. Arsenal was still a big seven. I'm pretty sure Arsenal on that list as well. Still in that list, probably despite them being nowhere competitively at that level for the past couple of seasons. So for me, that, that means nothing. Leicester City, for me, are a well-established side. But again, if Leicester City finished eighth outside of Wolves, who are having a very good season, and maybe you put Tottenham, Chelsea, or, you know, all the traditional big six guys, I wouldn't necessarily be too shocked at that. You know, I think we, could, we can't take anything away from, from Rodgers to, to say it's assumed or that we should assume this, this this squad would be where they are right now. You know, they have a Jamie Vardy who's very good, but he's, to be fair, um, at that stage in his career, where you, when I say things slow down, I, you know, we're just naturally looking at, at, at players' numbers and stuff, and you'll probably have different feelings. Um, Madison is good, but he hasn't been that Madison from that first season when he arrived. Uh, Thielman's, I think he got his first couple of assists um, at the weekend. So you're looking around that team, and, and I'm not, and, and again, I'm not taking anything away from them. But if I'm, if I'm really comparing apples with apples here, 
I, I can't I can't say them and Wolves are too far apart from each other, despite the fact that they've won it before. They have a proven body, Casper uh, Schmeichel, but but I can't really say to you that Wolves and Leicester City are too far apart in my assessment. But but you, you you'd have to say that because you've mentioned a few players that are struggling and are off color currently, and look where they're still sitting. It's a debate for another day. We gotta move on, but I mean. Mm. Uh, if you're saying that you know their key players are not playing that well this season, and they are still as far away from Wolves and other many other no, you know not to teams, say they're not playing well. Not to say that they're not playing well. Look, they 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 they're doing well to to be where they are. But I mean, pound for pound, if I'm measuring player for player, I I wouldn't look at Leicester City and say Leicester City are definitely a better team than Wolves are. You know, in the way I could look at. At, uh, for example, just on paper, Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, you know, Tottenham. I can't say that. So, so, so for me, that's why there's there's certain conversations I'd leave Leicester City out of. But again, it's it's a conversation for another day. It's so layered, Pilani. would have to you know say so many things about it. So uh, we're deep into the conversation to have one of those. But that's just my feeling, and I, I think your feeling is clear as well. Uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into no. it for sure. Your loser for the week at the Premier League. Oh. It would have, for me, if I can jump yeah. in there before you answer, uh, it would have definitely to be the team that you're comparing to Leicester, Wolves. Mm. Uh, I think that was a bitter, bitter loss, uh, losing 3-2 to West Brom, who look like they are on their way out of uh, out of the Premier League. Obviously, we know Big Sam does do these things, but a lot of people have been saying, does he have enough quality that West Brom side? They look like they are rubbish. I know Sheffield United look like they are rubbish right now, but... Yeah. West Brom, look, when you look at the names up and down that list, they look like a proper championship side. You know, and for Wolves to come and not get what and not get a point or a win, you know, it's, it's something. And I think it also leads to a conversation that we could always have at another day that a lot of people are starting to actually say, mm, has Nuno Spirito Santos' time come to an end at Wolves? Not that he's bad because he's a bad manager, but probably because his voice Maybe the Wolves players need a different voice and he needs a new challenge. Yeah. Maybe in the form of a Chelsea, for example. Possibly, but I don't think he's reached his time. I think, you know, in this league, you will, you will have these moments. Um, you, you can't, look, we can't ignore the climate, you know. Uh, I know people will be at pains to say, COVID, COVID, COVID. And I, we can never really and truly put a figure on how much it's affected players and results this season. You know, maybe you, with your brilliant pen, can can find a way to do that for us. But, I think it's just a bizarre season, you know. It's it's a bizarre season. It is. It's it a is, season. Right? Yeah, it's a season where, if we want to be honest, Leeds United for for everything that they've done are actually in twelfth place, you know. And and and, and you maybe say not doing too badly, but we would think differently about it. Just looking at, at things on paper, Sheffield United, who were for me, Chris Wilder, Sheffield United. I thought he was manager of the season. I thought Sheffield were team of the season for what they managed to do immediately coming into the Premier League. Can't win a game, you know. Um, so it's, it's a difficult season. I don't think his time is up with the team, but I get you for maybe bigger things, possibly. So if if he can achieve at a bigger level, I think he can still achieve at a at a league, at a, at a Wolves team that clearly back him. But um, my big winner, Pilani, um, would definitely be Fulham. Fulham lost to Chelsea this season or this this past weekend. But I think for Fulham, where my excitement comes is in the fact that Scotty Scotty I was going to say Scotty Scotty T Scotty Parker seems to have turned things around at that team where they can be a man down against the Chelsea team, who granted haven't been great, but still in that position, only concede in the, in the final kicks of that game, you know? Um, and, you know, you know, being a man down, it's relative, okay? Does, does the team get better defensively or worse when they're a man? Whatever. But, but Fulham, for me, have been in a really good way. That's a draw against Tottenham they, they got in the previous match. They narrowly losing to, 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 to Chelsea. And they've been in, the, in, a, in a really good shape. So for me, winner on the back end of what has been a, a couple of good game weeks for Fulham and of course the fact that look to not get blown away by Chelsea with all the, the attacking talent they have that I'm sure Scotty Park is at home smiling right now because that's the type of game that inspires confidence you know it's we can do it against the top side so that's my, my win of the week no definitely I, right now as it stands they don't look like they're going down oh you asked me for uh, a loser by the way when I gave you Fulham yeah, no, you you gave me you gave me two, two winners, winners but sorry. no no losers. Okay, but, then in the... but while while we were in Fulham, just yeah. to give credit to you, Scott Dempaka does have his play, his team playing some good some good yeah. good football. I do hope he has a couple of good weeks. But obviously, Fulham do get out. That means someone like Burnley, Brighton, or Newcastle could actually be dropping in there. 
so it's going to be an interesting one to see. But I think Fulham are playing, playing some exceptional to football. Right now. Play. They're playing on Eretz Nair. That's what I'm predicting. We'll, we'll talk against you. You're a hater. You'll tell me. You're, you're a hater, but I, I, I'll leave you with that. I think my winner for winner for the week is definitely Manchester City uh, playing after Liverpool and United did and just going in there and coasting past Christ, uh, Crystal Palace in the manner that they did, you know, especially because Palace looked quite good with the team that you're cho- going, they were playing the team that you're choosing as the loser of the week that that, that hasn't played as, as yet. I don't know what, what you can call that, <laughs> but yeah, they were, they looked very well drilled. I thought they were going to be, uh, you know, a tough assignment for City because just how they blocked Arsenal and nullified Arsenal, not to say City and Arsenal are on the same page, but I mean, you know, when you come, like what you're saying about Fulham, when you're coming off a dogged performance versus Chelsea, obviously in the next game, you'd be just expecting to transmit or transfer some of that form into the next game. So that said, I think this is done for for a football segment, uh, probably for the show as well. But I just, we need to talk about Max Holloway versus uh, Kate. Oh, look, plan. I was the first UFC pay-per-view for you. And, uh, you know, talk to me. Look, there's so much to talk about. Uh, as it, and look, we're gonna have to do better, I suppose, in managing our time here because, yeah, we can really get stuck into stuff. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been reprimanded on air for allowing our conversations to go longer than what's on the paper, you know, on the program. Um, so for me, Max Holloway is someone I'm very fond of. Now, my uh, that... show me a person who yeah. isn't, and I'll tell you they're going absolutely, straight to hell. Absolutely, he's just such a lovable guy, and you're right. I think we've all kind of fallen in love with Max Holloway, but I think he, I think that the results against Volkanovski were necessary. Um, I don't think that performance. He 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 says you know he wants to prove he's the best boxer or whatever, and granted, but I th- I think it's the Volkanovski thing. I think that that's really what's lit this fire. You know, I took the Twitter to kind of have conversation. If anyone doesn't know what Volkanovski, what you mean oh. by Volkanovski, you are talking about the biggest robbery of 2020 in the sure. UFC. Look, Max yep. won that. Yep. That, was, that was the biggest robbery of all across all fights. And we did see some stupid judging and some stupid refereeing throughout the year of 2020. Sure. But that was the biggest robbery th- for me. I for think Max, Max lost. Look, the first fight was close. It's contentious. It wasn't a great performance by either fighter. The second fight, Max won. He dropped him twice. He drops him twice. He may have lost the, the third and fourth narrowly, a takedown in the fifth. But, but, but you, you, you think, I mean, come on. Anyway, we're not going to get into judging. So, so Max comes into that fight against Calvin Cater, who Pilani. When I saw that fight made last year, I was like, this is the fight I didn't know I needed. And it proved every bit of that this past weekend. I set up the team. I was a bit nervous. Who are you nervous for, Max? Max? We, no, because, not because I doubt his quality. I would, have, I would have bet my house that Max was going to win the fight. But, I mean, Calvin Cater is no slouch, man. He might be ranked number six, but he's no slouch. If, if you're a casual fan, you may think, oh, Max was just in the against guy who wasn't at his level. No, I think he was just that good that night. I think everything, you know, we, we speak about him being on ABC and how much, how much of an impact that played as well. I, I think it was a great moment for him. But, look, the, the performance, if we're going to be honest, Max has had performances like this in the past. He says it was his best performance. I don't disagree. I think it was as well. He's had Brian Ortega. Uh, he's had um, Anthony Pettis. He's had Jose Aldo in the past twice, actually. He's had performances like this where he's, he's setting records for most strikes landed, significant strikes in the fight. This is what Max does. But I think the moment that made it what it was, was that. That moment, talking to the commentators on the sidelines, still slipping punches or throwing jabs, not even looking at him, you know, all of that together, fights on ABC, those are the type of performances that when people talk about Muhammad Ali, those are the type of performances he was putting in. We talk about moments. I think Max can I can I be honest? Moments, yeah. I actually called Max Holloway a virtuoso replica of Muhammad Ali on that day. Like he channeled his For inner sure. Muhammad Ali. And I tweeted that. And 30 seconds later, Daniel Cormier went out and said, I'm like, damn. This guy's more famous than I am, and everybody's gonna think he's yeah, him first. Yeah. But <laughs> but I would say Max Holloway, four four hundred and forty-five significant strikes. Wherever Kelvin Cater is right he's now, feeling. he's not feeling too good. Yeah, no, look, Pilani, woof, I can say so much about that performance, man. And I think it, it was it was a really good card overall. There were a lot of good knockouts, a lot of good fights um on that on that card. No one would have left disappointed, irrespective of when you started watching uh the UFC. But Max, again, just a level above. So the question then becomes, Pilani, we know Max is great, great performance, one of the best individual performances you ever see inside the Octagon. But what, what comes next for Max? Now, Dana White says 
Uh, he could fight uh, Volkanovski after he fights Brian Ortega should he win. He's not opposed to making a third fight, even though Max lost twice, and that doesn't really happen in the UFC where someone will fight for a title three consecutive times, or three times after having lost two of them with, against the same guy. Um, do you... Do you he, he didn't do too well at 155 when he went to fight Poirier. I don't know if you, if you think about Max maybe moving a division. Do you keep him right where he is? Do you nah. ice him? I think you know, you know you know what the biggest advantage of fighting early is, and as a Conor McGregor fan, I'm I'm good with him fighting this early in the year, is you can fight two more times before December. Sure. So if I'm Max if I'm Max Hollow, I think Volkanovski is in the ring with Ortega is in, is in our yeah. March. I think there's a summer date, winter in Africa, summer in, in the States, a summer date, a June date. July date, uh, maybe International Fight Week, Holloway, Volkanovski on a card, probably being, uh, you know, backing up s- some other big, uh, big heavyweight fight, probably. Um, but, but definitely, uh, if I'm Max, I'm not taking any other fight except for Volkanovski. He's laid down the marker. He's called Volkanovski out. If you did see Volkanovski's tweet during the fight in the fifth round, he just tweeted D A M N, all caps. Look, Max was talking about sticking around. Uh, and filling in for uh, Connor, whoever you know, if somebody was to fall out of, he's not going anywhere because I think when you go to fight Ireland, don't you spend like three and a half weeks no, after no, your fight? No, no, no. You can use the go back immediately, but you quarantine when you get back. Home. Oh, you have to quarantine when you get but back. The, yeah, the yeah, is, yeah, my bad. My look, bad, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I think Max. I think you can go to one fifty-five. Let me, let me. Okay, let me paint this picture for you, Pilani, and then I'll okay. be done. Let's assume Conor McGregor wins against. Um, Dustin Poirier. Um, I'm with that assumption. Yeah. I yeah, believe yeah, Conor I believe will win. Conor McGregor wins. Khabib is not convinced enough to say he wants to fight Conor, which could happen. I mean, okay. Khabib, if, if, if everything we've read about him is true, he's not a guy who's really motivated by money. Now, Conor, for any normal human being, if I'm sitting in Khabib's position, I'm like, you know, I'm going to fight him again just because there's lots of money in my bank. If that's not Khabib's motivation, mm-hmm. he's not motivated by what he's seen in Conor by way of performance. He doesn't want that fight. Are you telling me you're not interested at all after this Holloway fight and Conor versus Holloway? At all. You're not interested in that fight at all. It would be the same set of circumstances Conor's beaten um, Holloway before at 145. They would probably have to take the fight at 155. I don't think Conor's got any interest in dropping back down to 145. The fight would have to be at 155. But are you telling me you're not interested in that fight at all? I think if I'm Holloway... Now that you've said it, I, I, I didn't think about it. I've still got a grudge and I think... Volkanovski Holloway 3 would be a big grudge match, but I still get also, what you mean. You can still sell tickets yeah, for Holloway what McGregor. What do you do with McGregor? Say McGregor wins against Poirier. Do you give him to um, Chandler? Do you give him to Michael Chandler? You, got, you Certainly not. I don't think there's enough around that. No, but 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 but, but, but that's that's what that's what uh, Dana White is building up for. If Chandler does manage to squeeze past the dangerous Dan Hooker, then it's probably. If Connor does get, you know, whoever wins that fight, there's no interim to buy a belt for it as yet. But whoever wins that fight is in quotes the interim champ, then definitely it's going to be either Connor Chandler or Connor Gage. Oh, there's a Gage as well. Oh, I've actually forgotten about Justin Gage in that division as well. Look, all I'm saying is, for me, I understand the the Volkanovski thing. I understand entirely people saying, yeah, Volkov, the third fight, yes. And I'm not saying no. I think Max will definitely want to get that belt back from Volkanovski, no one else, you know. But I just I just believe in my heart of hearts that there are so many big fights for Max at 155. If if really he, he wants to, you know, take it to that level, I think there's... So, I mean, imagine him versus... Even against the dangerous um, Dan Hooker, as you put it. There's just... 155 is the most stacked division in the UFC. He didn't have a good debut there against Dustin Poirier, granted. But I think with the way he's riding now, you can make a fight where whew, all eyes will be on that fight. If, 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 if Max, outside of Khabib and Conor, I think Max Holloway right now and Conor McGregor is the biggest fight to make in, in, in 150, in the whole UFC, because Conor is the biggest star in the whole UFC. I think that's the biggest fight to make, in my opinion. You can't. But you also have to you we also have to agree on one thing and that's Max has always said he doesn't fear fighting anyone. Um True. he's also even said he would even go as up as far as Everyone. everywhere. I don't know if his frame would carry would carry that, <laughs> but he said it so you can you can sell him. And I think if Dana puts enough money for him, he would definitely make the the move to, to, to the lightweight division. But what the fear that I have, the fear that I have for him was when he fought Justin Poirier. I remember there were some crazy exchanges in that fight. 
whenever Max landed. It did worry Justin at times, but it, it didn't, didn't look him. like it was painful. It didn't hurt him. It didn't look like it didn't look like Max can strike a lightweight and cause him any pain like we can do with featherweights. Yeah. And that's the worry that I have for him. But if he can go in with that type of volume against any lightweight, he'll put some punch. Okay, that being said, let me let me put that question to you then. You want Max Volkov Dury uh, Shaw. And I'm not saying I don't want it either. I'm just looking beyond that. What is the biggest fight yeah. to be made this year? And let's be honest, we know. Um, Israel Adesanya is not going to fight John Jones this year. John Jones is going to heavyweight. I don't think he's going to put in all this time gaining weight. He's come back down to light heavyweight. But in, in your mind, what is the biggest fight to make this year? And and keep in mind, the biggest fights will naturally be have to be McGregor. He's included. Izzy, he's included. Khabib, he's also in that conversation. And if he comes back, but for you, what what who's that fight? So that, that's a very don't, good let's question. Not even use um, you know, I've got, it, don't, you don't have to be like for these reasons. It makes sense. It doesn't have to make sense. What just what do you think? It's it's fantasy. Yeah, yeah. it's fantasy, yeah. right? Yeah, man, it's it's crazy because the one the one fight that I also want is I'm a big John Jones fan and I'm a big Adesanya fan, and you've just plugged that mm-hmm. hole, right? So it's always going to be tricky to to say, but you've just put me on the spot. You go first while I think. Yeah, so so for me, for me, it's this. Pilani, for me, it's definitely, as I said earlier, Max Holloway, Conor because of Max Holloway's stock right now, that performance was so good right now, everyone would tune into that fight. Um, I think, yeah, naturally, Conor McGregor commands a lot, you know, whenever, whoever he fights. If he was fighting me, it would probably be the biggest pay-per-view that year. Uh, Red yeah, Pantinac, sure. eh? Um So Conor McGregor has to be on that card. I think him uh, versus Holloway, for sure. I think the only reason I, I'm not saying a Gaethje is because Gaethje lost to Khabib, you know. Holloway's coming off one of the greatest individual performers of all time. Gaethje's coming off a loss to Khabib. These are all exciting matches and Conor will naturally make that purse sell very high. But I think Conor True. fighting Holloway w- would be bigger than Conor fighting Gaethje on paper, right? On, on paper. Mm-hmm. Conor even mm-hmm. fighting, look, and this fight is not going to happen. D- Nate Diaz 3, that would be a massive fight as well. You know, yeah, true, I don't think true. That, I don't, but I wouldn't want to. I, I don't have any yeah, interest in that right now, not this agree. year. I have no interest in that fight either, but I'm just I'm just trying to put out big fights. You know, we're just gonna play. But while we are dreaming, yeah. while we are dreaming, if because Connor's fighting in January, could we see him fight two more times before the year of the end Possibly of this year? Three, if he finishes the way the Cowboy yeah. Cerrone, maybe three. Yeah, yeah, okay. there's, right. look, there's, uh, look, there's lots of stuff, but, but the diamond man, because you know, the one thing I fear for Connor versus Destin is. Dustin was not called the diamond because he's pretty. He's not called the diamond because he fights very well. He's called the diamond because he doesn't crumble Agreed. under pressure. Agreed. Or his best work comes when he's under pressure. So, Connor oh, predicting that he'll end him in 60 seconds? No, of course not. That would be iconic. If That would be iconic if Mystic Mac can come back and do that. But, you know, would, I, we haven't seen Mystic Mac yeah, in a minute. Just, Dustin has proved that he's, 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 too, he's too durable up there at 155. I mean, he fought Justin Gaethje, who I believe is a harder punch than Conor McGregor, to be fair. I think Justin Gaethje hits harder than Connor, and he took a lot of punches clean from Justin Gaethje and kept coming. So I don't think it ends sixty seconds, but I think Connor will win. Look, this question is difficult, Plani, and, and I know I've asked you a difficult question. I put you on the spot, but I'm just looking at it. I'm looking around the whole UFC. And I'm thinking Israel Adesanya is going up to fight um, to fight Jan Blahovic, which is is a good fight. I think again it'll get his eyes, but it's not. We're not too excited about that fight. You know, it's. Not a fight that we want to see, and I'm not sure who else you can put Israel Adesanya in there with outside of John Jones, who can make Connor numbers. You know, um, he, he kind of mm-hmm. did that when he fought Paulo Costa, and we're all we're very excited for that fight. And look how that ended. So Israel Adesanya naturally will be will be big, but I'm not sure who. So, so you've gone with Connor Holloway as your fight. I think of if the, that fight, know, the fight happen, to make if year. that fight was happened, would be the biggest fight of the year. And because and not and what, and, what, what do you think of Jones and, and not because oof. But we, we're assuming Nganu's fighting for the belt next. All right? Nganu has to... Yeah, oh, no, he's no, playing uh, fantasy still. That, that, that's yeah, I think Connor. I think Connor still... Connor being, Connor being the guy who naturally will push the numbers. And, and he just needs a very good yeah. second. He, need, he doesn't even need a good second, to be honest. Connor could... I mean, he did those numbers with Donald Cerrone. He was the highest paper, pay-per-view with Donald Cerrone. Now, think about him fighting Holloway after this performance. We can't ignore how good that performance was. That's oh. why I'm so... No, right now you're talking like a promoter, and I'm probably talking like a fan, which is probably annoying you. But I no, that's only reason I'm so sorry. I mean, I do agree. McGregor, Holloway would be massive, but there's also Jones, Ganu. 
I really do feel for if just to put it out there, I really do feel like this year was going to be a very good year to see Jared Kananier versus um, Israel Adesanya, Adesanya because I think that Kananier with his frame and his build would have been able to to put up the performance. But oh man, he 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 was outdone by Robert Whittaker. That's one fight I think shouldn't be done. I don't think we. I have no interest in watching Whittaker Adesanya. Yeah, this look, year. that's, that's the yeah. thing. That's what I'm saying. Look, the UFC is again spoiled for talents, but at at the level of super fights, there may be three or four fights you can make. Most of them include Conor McGregor. One of them is for sure John Jones. If he goes up to heavyweight, either Ngannou or Stipe Miocic will be massive. Um, I think just because everybody wants to see how John Jones fares with guys who hit that hard, you know. Um, we know Ngannou can put anybody to sleep, and I think John Jones. We're kind of in that way. It's we almost want to see him lose, and that's why we tune in. You know, um, but is that no, why you no, watch John I mean, Jones? People, you hate it. Yeah, a lot of people a lot are waiting of... to see John Jones lose. You know, that's why you because John Jones has never made himself more recently. He's not at that space where he's so invincible. You know, the way he was in the early parts of his yeah, career, where true. you don't. I mean, look at Dominic Reyes' fights. Look at the Thiago Santos fights. I, I can mention three fights. A posture where you're like, "Hey, how's this gonna go?" You know. So he's in that space now. We almost get the mm-hmm. sense that he can lose. He looks fallible. He hasn't looked that way in, 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 in time gone by. So I think that's why we tune in against Nganu. Don't get me wrong, the side of the fight sells itself. I'm just adding a couple more ingredients. I just think Nganu. Yeah, Nganu has that yeah. knockout power. You'd be like, John could lose if he gets caught. And we, he's, he's, he's an undefeated fighter. Yeah. But, but the, the thing is, it'll also throw in another angle where we saw Stipe do it against Nganu by using wrestling. And John, obviously, is a superior wrestler to Nganu. And we'll be just yes. tuning in to see if so John can use right. wrestling. And. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that that that's another narrative mm-hmm. to the fight because I don't think John is gonna box Ngannou out of the out of the park. When was the last time John mm-hmm. Jones knocked out anybody? He's a unanimous decision type of guy. So is he going to put in a Karamaru Usman versus Jose Masvidal against Ngannou, where you know who's the superior striker, but you just nullify the striking by holding him against the fence, dominating him, putting him down on the ground. But before we get too carried away. What are your picks? Connor Poirier and then Dan mm, Hook and Chandler. Look, to be honest, I don't know too much about uh, Michael Chandler. I'll just be going on what I've seen, and I've seen more of Dan Hooker. Uh, I love Dan Hooker. I think he's going to make some adjustments from what he did. And let's not lie, when Dan Hooker fought Dustin Poirier, he was he was very good for the first two three rounds of that fight. He was he was good. Yeah. Um, Dan Hooker is he's no slouch. Um, so I, I picked Dan Hooker because I haven't really I know Michael Chandler's credentials. I know what they say he can do, but I haven't seen it. So I'll go with what I've seen. I'll go with Dan Hooker. And then obviously, I think we've said it a million times already, I pick, uh, I pick Mystic Mac, uh, Conor McGregor, uh, to beat Dustin Poirier. I, I'm not sure if it'll be by knockout. In your book, how does Conor do it? Oh, knockout, man. man. Think, that left hand is... I've never seen Poirier get knocked out, even when he yeah, fought Justin Gaethje. Poirier doesn't go down, man. The, the man, it has to be... I think, to be honest, I think Conor will win, will win decision. I think he'll win the decision. Can Connor take that punishment though? Is he gonna be slipping? Because Connor can slip punches. He can. No, he can. Look, listen. He can. He can slip punches. True? But Connor will be getting take that type of. My, my my fear for Connor is if it goes the, the distance. I think Dustin Poirier's conditioning is better over five rounds. Connor always talks about that wall that he hits where everything just kind of goes out the window, cardio and otherwise. Whether or not that stuff's up there, he's taken all these billions he's made from the whiskey and put into fixing those issues. I don't know. But if he could go over five rounds and maintain a decent pace in the in the in the championship rounds, I think I think Connor will beat Dustin Poirier. I think he's I think he's better than Dustin Poirier, in my opinion. And I don't think he's going to do what we saw from Justin Gaethje, just get into a complete slugfest. You know, Justin Gaethje is the type of guy who'll get in there and close his eyes, bite down the mouthpiece and, and, and just throw hands, you know. I think Connor will be a lot more measured. And maybe even more measured than we saw Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker proved in the first couple of rounds against Dustin Poirier, there's a way to fight him where you can keep it range, coming in and out, staying staying away from him. He fights very tight, you know, very short, Dustin Poirier. And I think kind of fights so long yeah, where he can, yeah. he can pick him on the on the inside, come out. Pick. Now, this is, of course, if we're writing this fight on paper. These things, they change very much when you guys get in the, ring, in the octagon. But I think it'll go to decision, to be fair. I don't think, I don't think he puts him down. But, but, that's me being practical. Nah, that's me being practical. That but the reality is, it's ending in three. It's ending in three. No, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy your analysis of, of how Dustin Poirier fights. And I think that, that that's exactly what, what it is. Dustin Poirier, 
prefers to fight in the phone booth. If not, he wants to be punching mm. you in and out of the clinch yeah. uh, quite some times. With, and, you know, just throwing some elbows in there. I've seen him do that it's not a dynamic, uh, quite, not quite a, a number of times. And he's very good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think his dynamic is quite yeah. Yeah, no, no, and definitely, and Connor is the, the total opposite. He doesn't want to be touched. He's, he's, he's silky smooth. You know, when he ever is, I've never seen someone look so good just yeah. before a fight in the in the ring. His beard is well combed. His hair slick. His and he doesn't want to get. You know, he can grapple. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. He can stop the takedown, but I mean, he do, he won't want to get too close to Poirier, fill the fence. I'm sure with Khabib. He's sick of being put on the fence yeah. with what he went through with Khabib and definitely being the center of the octagon. Oh, just like what we saw through uh, with Max, uh, with Holloway and Cater. So whoever takes the list punches definitely will have an advantage in this one. But for me, I don't know what Chandler is all about. I've tried to look for some highlights. I've tried to see him. He does look good. I don't know what he's, he's a striker. He looks like he's a bit too short for the lightweight division. And Dan Hooker did say he's on a break, uh, the UFC's toy. But Dana White, with what he's invested in, Dan, in Michael Chandler, what mm. does he know that we don't know? You know? Because do you think you'd put him with such a bad man knowing that he's put so much money in him, so much hype? Because if Chandler loses this, what's the next fight? You can't even book Chandler <laughs> Ferg- uh, Ferguson anymore. Even though Look, Ferguson has lost two fights. I, I think uh, if you know, Chandler loses this, it's worst-case scenario for him because now he's He's literally having to work his way up from ground zero. He's kind of been he's kind of been given a silver spoon. Yeah, so he's probably gonna fight yeah. num- the number ten fighter, and he's gonna force himself to fight at least yeah. three more times yeah. this year yeah. if he does lose. So, lots of pressure on him. Thank you so much, man. Let me go catch the uh, the first episode of Embedded. That's like my oh, favorite yes. part yes. of the uh, paper. Oh, listen, uh, appreciate the time, Pilani. It's it's been a goodie. Yeah. No. We'll try and cut the time for next week. Right. Definitely, we're doing an next week, man. Appreciate your time. So, 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 are we done?